Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Alone Podcast. Before we get started today, we have a review to read from Apple Podcasts. This comes from Music and Moss, and Music and Moss says, I love learning the background on all the contestants, and Sam is a great interviewer. Music and Moss, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review and the comment and those kind words for me and, and for the show. It really means a lot, um, and it helped me to, to keep going with this project. It, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and work to to do this show and to so far have you know pretty much weekly weekly shows to listen to. Uh, so it does mean a lot when people take the time to not only listen, but also to interact with the show. Um, speaking of interaction with the show, we will be starting a new a new part of the show or trying to start a new part of the show where I'm gathering questions and, and other information from the listeners of the show. And then we will then take those questions and those comments and, and present those to whoever is being interviewed. And so if you wouldn't mind or if you're interested in doing something like that, you can go to the Alone Podcast on Facebook. So that's facebook.com slash the Alone Podcast or at the Alone Podcast. You can also email at the Alone Pod at gmail.com and go ahead and send me a question that you have for a show participant. Um, look back through the catalog and, and make sure you don't send one for someone who's already been on the show. But if there's someone that you're interested in hearing from, or maybe you just have a general question that you would like to ask of any of the show participants, go ahead and, and send that to me again on Facebook at The Alone Podcast or at thealonepod at gmail.com. We'll take some of those thoughtful questions, and at the end of each episode where we have questions for either that individual or just general questions, we will go ahead and ask those and do kind of a quick three-question fire round of, of listener questions. So again, thank you for your comments. Thank you for your participation and, and listening to the show. And with that, we will get right into episode 11 of the Alone Podcast. So we're here with today's guest, Brooke Whipple. So we will all remember Brooke from her time on Alone. She was out on season four with her husband, Dave, and then she went back for redemption in season five. So uh, Brooke, welcome to the show and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Um, excited to talk with you, and you know, I've I realized as I was putting together some notes and some stuff for me as you know, leading into our conversation, um, that you you've done a lot, <laughs> and I, I think you you seem to be very humble about that on the show and on you know your own stuff on YouTube and other things, but you really have led a life of adventure. So I'm just going to take a second to to share that background with people and. I'm going to parse from a few different bios that I've read of yours. So, um, man, you grew up, it sounds like, starting early with the hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff, and then you've moved around. You spent some time in Montana doing wildland fire, which is kind of a secret passion of mine, so I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But then you moved to Colorado, and you were a lifty and a ski bum. Um, you This one was on the show. You were an award-winning baker which I'm sure came in handy yesterday for those out there. Uh, we're going to break the wall here. We are, we're recording the day after Thanksgiving. So, um, man, you're a, a documentary filmmaker, an author. You are a successful YouTube creator. You are a, a teacher, instructor, public speaker, um, so, so much more. Uh, what, what have I missed on there, and, and what would you add to that list? Well, I don't think there's, there's much. You know, I'm just a curious person. I... I just think you should live life with just your eyes wide open and your feet hit the ground and you just go for it. So I've just really never let anything, you know, slow me down. So 
I'm very blessed. I, I just, I'm just, I can't believe the life that I have, and I'm just so happy. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask that from a, a different direction. Is there, is there anything that, you know, typically doesn't make that list when, when people are talking bio or when you're talking bio um, that you're particularly proud of? Hmm. I think one of the best experiences in my life was uh, log rafting on the Yukon River. Um, just really, it was just such a special place. And uh, boy, I, I could just go spend lots more time there. On a log raft on the Yukon River is like my happy place. So that's a, I'm glad you went there. That's a, a perfect segue. So the, the log rafting on the Yukon, um, I believe that was the subject of, was, was this your first network TV venture? Yeah. Yeah. So it ended up, um, my good friend, Neil hired me back in, gosh, it was 2000 to be a guide. He was running the only guy in the world who would build like a giant log raft from drift logs on the Yukon river, basically put up like a floating lodge on this log raft. I mean, this log raft is like 40 by 70. It's huge. And then just float sections of the river. So we would float like a week at a time, maybe go 60, 70 miles, basically kind of village to village. People would come and then we'd float and then they'd drop off and then new people would fly in and come float with us for a week. And it was just the most amazing experience. So it really just, I, I, I can't, I can't even put into words how special of, of a thing that is to do. <laughs> and anyway, uh, Nat Geo kind of found out about him and what he was doing and built this show around him, um, you know, building a log raft. And, and my whole family and Neil and his son built a log raft for the show and floated for, I don't know, a month and a half or so on the river. And they filmed, you know, some, the whole, the whole thing. And so, you know, my, my son, I think was, nine and my daughter was 11 or, or something like seven and nine maybe and so they got to go with us Dave was there and you know it was just amazing floating down the river being some you know immersed in the wilderness like that and and then there was this camera crew trailing us so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was really and the show itself is is pretty quirky and you know <laughs> not super awesome but the experience was still still alive and well. I mean, <laughs> does it does it capture you know for all the for all the things that TV is right? Um, does it does it capture at least the at some point the essence or the beauty of of what you're doing as you're floating that river? You know, I wish I wish I could say it did. Um, it was kind of more those early years of uh, it was filmed in 2014, and it was you know they like to emphasize kind of drama that really wasn't that dramatic <laughs> yeah and like oh what's the weather and these waves you know and stuff like that and you know snow's coming and you know the kind of over um dramatization of things so it was a little disappointing in that regard um and you know we had all these amazing moments that you know of course never make it to tv because you're not in charge <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately you're not in charge of the edit it's kind of like alone you know you, you just you put all your your guts on the line, and um, they kind of take that and and make the show out of what they think should be shown. Yep. So um, it is what it is. We had an amazing time, especially as a family, and great memories. And so yeah, the Yukon 
Yukon River on a log raft is just pretty amazing. You know, when you when you talk about the dimensions of of that <clears throat> vessel, <laughs> I I think it's big enough to to deserve something more than just log raft. That's that, that's large. Um, when I think oh, of the, it's huge. Yeah, that sounds massive. And and when I think of these Alaskan rivers, and I I, I believe that the Yukon probably certainly fits the same bill. Um, you know, in, I live in the Western United States in Utah, and all of our rivers are are fairly straight. You know, they're fairly, they're they're not too windy. And and you know, when I think of those Alaskan rivers, I think of sandbars and and twists and turns and and just lots of meandering. And that doesn't seem super conducive to probably the most unwieldy, <laughs> unwieldy <Okay>. craft <laughs> I can imagine. Um, I'm sure that leads to exciting moments, or is it? I mean, how does that work with something so large? You nailed it. It is a silty river, so you can't see through the water at all. And it's just full of sandbars that change with the seasons. So, uh, yeah, you have to really be able to read the water because you cannot quickly maneuver. You know, I mean, I don't know how many tons that thing weighs when we have it finished. And and what we do is uh, attach two skiffs to the back and then the props of the skiff, you know, they that's kind of how we steer the raft so it's in the back okay. so you think about like this big pivoting giant floating <laughs> kind of like barging i guess you know your tug is pushing the barge from the back yeah and that's kind of how we would operate so you just really had to be uh reading the river and seeing what's up ahead because you know grounding a log raft is a pretty <laughs> bad that pretty bad deal um, and same at night. Of course, we're not floating at night. We we land the raft, and there's strategic moments for that too. And uh, you've got to, and the, even the river fluctuates every day, day by day. So you could beach the raft. You always got to be making sure it's boomed out so it's actually floating. If the river if the river drops, so it's just a constant, you know, paying paying attention situation. So you can. <laughs> stay floating because they're not easy to to move yeah that doesn't i mean it just it does not i'm sure there's all sorts of metaphors that that could describe that and i i can't think of a good one right now so we won't go there but that just sounds <laughs> like you know what's going to happen is going to happen unless you are paying very close attention yeah yeah it's just a big you're in the middle of absolute wilderness and the river can be um a mile down towards the mouth when you get towards the uh the other end it's you know three miles wide but where we were it's about a mile wide um so it's a big river and it can get really gnarly really big waves in sections when you get an upstream wind you have three foot standing waves on the yukon river and you wouldn't think about that but it can be pretty gnarly (laughs) yeah i that's i mean i'm i so my family we used to do whitewater canoeing um you know, mm. we skipped the raft and went straight to the canoe. And so I, I don't have a ton of reference, um, right? But I'm imagining a river of that size with three-foot waves on it. And that that's, I mean, yeah, I, I think that sounds like a hellstorm. That's about the only way to describe it. I mean, that seems pretty pretty wild and pretty wicked. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily from just from the time on the show, but when you think of all of your experience running the Yukon, it sounds like it's obviously an important part of your life. Um, do you have a, a specific moment that you like to think back on or that a, a specific memory that just kind of encapsulates 
that whole journey and experience? I'll tell you what, I, I kind of had my first alone wilderness experience. <laughs> Neil, we had just gotten rid of some customers and rid of customers. That sounds terrible. <laughs> they, they were done with the flow and it was just him and I, and he needed to fly to Fairbanks. And, you know, he's just like, you know, you're just going to be on the raft alone for a week. So we were um, tied up um, in a slough of the river. So it's not the main channel, but, uh, you know, you got to keep the raft boomed out. You're just alone. So, yeah, whatever. Flies off. We, You know, he's got a boat to the nearest village and then they fly out by bush plane. So I'm just alone, you know. I've got a battery operated radio and I've got firepower and that's about it. <laughs> I got a boat. You can hear things coming for just miles and miles away when you're in that deeper wilderness. You can hear planes and you can hear boats coming from miles upriver, downriver. It's really interesting. And so we're tied up to shore, obviously, and worried. So we have like a gangplank to get from the shore to the raft. And I'm obviously worried about bears. And, you know, I'm just like a floating refrigerator full of food you know, <laughs> uh, in the wilderness. Uh, well, not refrigerator. Yeah, we actually had a propane fridge. I take that back. We did have a, a propane refrigerator. Anyway, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, it, we're at the time of year where it's actually getting dark at night. It's late summer. So by the end of August, you are getting like some dark darkness at night. And I'm like, you know, I got to be ready for bears. And so I took all of our empty cans that I could find and I like stacked them up on the gangplank. So if anything was going to come on the raft, I would, it would wake me up. And meanwhile, I had like a shotgun and a rifle under my cot mm -hmm. in a, in a wall hat. <laughs> and so you're all zipped up in there. And one morning I woke up and I could hear like claws walking uh. across the deck. And I'm like, holy crap. Oh no. And the problem is, you know, the only way to look out is to unzip the whole front door of your tent. There's no yeah. window in the front. So I kind of like grab my <laughs> shotgun and do like this army style belly crawl to the front of my tent and like just kind of pull it open so I can look and there's a porcupine. Because <laughs> 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 I'm sitting there going, why didn't my cans work? And, you know, why, how did it get past, you know, the alarm system? But it was a porcupine. So that was just a really a fun learning moment of just being alone because I don't really think I had been alone before then completely alone in a wilderness situation like that. So I guess that was kind of my first initiation into that. And it, it sounds like that wasn't a, a terrible experience because you've, you've spent a good portion of your life replicating that. Well, you know, it just takes practice. Um, being alone in the woods, in the wilderness, I, I don't believe anyone that tells me that doesn't make them nervous or scared a little bit. Um, because it's just, I think it's a human uh, instinct to be, to have that feeling of just that fear of what you can't see and what you don't know what that sound is. I mean, I think that's just ingrained in us. It just takes a lot of practice to get by that. I mean, that week on the raft, I didn't get a lot of sleep because I was nervous. I was concerned about stuff walking on the raft and eating me. <laughs> um, and and to be and, fair, when you're out in the woods at night, porcupines do sound about as big as grizzly bears. <laughs> everything sounds as big at night in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your mind just 
goes crazy. So it's really a mind over matter thing. Yes, the reality is there are things that can, you know, eat you if they want to. On the other hand, it's not likely. And you just have to control your mind to wrap yourself around the whole idea of it. Um, And then you come out the other side, like that week after I was on the raft alone, you know, I felt so much more confident and I felt so much stronger about my own abilities. So, and that's what I think is a pretty common theme. Even if you're not on the show and you spent a night alone in the woods, it's an accomplishment. It's, it's really something, it makes this mental physical shift in you. That's just really powerful. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for giving all of us who can spend a couple nights alone. Thanks for giving us permission to, to feel good about ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's I, not easy. I appreciate that. It's not easy. I, and I do remember another time um, I tried to stay alone in the woods and I bailed. I'm like, you know, I don't feel comfortable. There's no shame in, in being real about it. Like, okay. And you know what? To be honest, your instinct you need to listen to your instincts. Yeah, too. I was just going to say, you've, you've got to listen intuition, to that. Yeah, and your intuition, that's valuable information. <laughs> you shouldn't be ignored. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, it's, I guess it depends on, on your worldview, but regardless of how you see things, we are a, a species that's been around for a very long time. And you don't get to be around for a very long time without getting really good at, at staying alive. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what you've talked about for the last few minutes really touches back on, on you know, inside of us whether you know whether we have have cultivated that connection or not. Inside of us, there is something that is very familiar with all of these circumstances and these experiences, and it's very good at, at trying to keep us alive. That's right. Exactly. Um, this Yukon thing and, and speaking of, of trying to, to keep alive, do you have any, a story that you can share of, of maybe when things didn't go so well on that log raft? Cause I could, again, I can imagine that that's, you know, you're asking for all sorts of excitement when you do something of that nature. Well, it's more to do with the navigation of the raft. Cause if you hung, hang, if you get the raft hung up, it can be bad. So one night we, we tied up on the North shore I'm sorry, the South Shore. If you tie up on the North Shore, you get the sun in the morning. And for whatever reason that we tied up on the South Shore, and I don't know why it made a difference, but we were always used to tying up on the North Shore. The river runs east to west in in the section we were at. So the North Shore, in the morning, you'd get all that sunshine, and you wouldn't be in the shadows. Anyway, we were on the, the South Shore that night, and... So when you land the raft, you have to have the skiffs pointing downriver would be the ideal. And that night, we had swung the raft around so that the skiffs were pointing, like, upriver. And what happened was the... Uh, you had intentionally done that. Yeah. And the ropes in the front that night, opposite of where, like, this would be the front of the raft pointing upstream, came, started to come loose. And so it was pulling the raft out into the current, like, you know, on the corner, but it was grinding the motors of the boats into the, into the shore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's no way to jump in the skiffs and fix the raft. 
so what's happening is it's just being nor can you just jump on and pull it like use a pole to pull away from shore yeah dude it was bad so we were all just yelling and screaming at each other and trying to figure out what to do and you know you're like it's just getting worse because the current's strong and we have this giant raft it's just like grinding the back end where the skiffs are into the shore and pulling out the front end into the current so it was just like a really bad situation and those oh. those skiffs would, because I'm I'm assuming that without those that I mean again, right that raft is basically going to be not useless Free but floating. yeah yes pretty much yes because it's the whole rudder system of the motors on the on the skiffs that are you know getting us where we need to go, steering us off sandbars and whatnot so um, that was bad and that was while we were filming the show and. Um, the the camera guys that night had because they were like right on the raft with us they had to go like skiff off to some production meeting and so they weren't even there they weren't even filming it because it probably would have made the show hey can you you replicate (laughs) that for us (laughs) yeah (laughs) not this one so but the good news is that they had left which means they had to come back and so they had a skiff and as soon as they we're coming, you know, we're screaming at them, get to the front, get to the front, you know. And so luckily they kind of bailed us out with that other free skiff. Like we were able to take the front back towards shore and like level everything back out. Cause not only were we not in control of the raft, but it was going to like break off the motors and the skiffs because of that pressure. Yeah. So the production crew with their skiff, like save the day. Otherwise, no one would have been around. I don't know what, I don't know what would have happened. We actually had it tied to a, a tipped over pine way up on shore and it like ripped that thing out of the ground, the pressure of the raft. <laughs> so it was, it was a real moment that you can't like even, you couldn't see coming. You didn't. And those are the things that'll get you in the wilderness in general. <laughs> like you can plan, but it's the stuff that you don't plan for. And then it's like a perfect storm of things that like fail that really get you into a bad situation. Yeah. So what's like, the, what's the, I can't remember you might, but there's something about, you know, there's I think about three or five bad situations or fa- end up leading to like an ultimate catastrophe. Right. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. It's all these little mistakes that add up. And then you've got a massive problem. And that's kind of what happened that night. It was just like this one fail, one fail, this failed. Like we didn't do that. We didn't do this. And this broke and this went wrong. And it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, that, so that uh, was an exciting moment. Thank goodness for the for the camera crew on that one. Yeah, yeah. There, that extra skiff got us out of the, uh, the danger zone there because I really don't know what would happen. It would have wrecked the motors the raft would have just gone downstream at night, you know, with no like ability to steer it. Like it would have been really bad. Do you remember how far <laughs> in you guys were at that point? Well, I mean, you mean time wise? Nah, distance, like how, whatever, like, like I mean, how long were you going to be? How long were you going to be walking is basically the question. Oh, there's, there's, I don't know. I mean, 50 miles, <laughs> something like that like there's there's nothing out there and that's if you walk the shore if you could you know there's a lot of spots it's not possible anyway (laughs) 
good stuff. Yeah, that that sounds like a like excitement that you can't wouldn't be able to ever convey to someone that wasn't no. there for that excitement. It was scary. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine. Well, so the Yukon and and that experience obviously is is a big part of your life and what other things? I mean, we can transition to. I mean, you've done everything, right? You've <laughs> you've done fire and and the everything. So let, let's go to fire for a minute. And how long did you do fire for? And and what drew you to that? I'm just a really physical person. I really like hard work. Um, I like to be challenged in that physical way. And you know, I was just kind of driftless there for a few years. I'd gone to community college for a couple of years and I just hated it. I just wanted out of Michigan and uh, ended up out West. So I would just kind of bounce from one thing to the other out there. So I only did fire for one season, uh, but I worked for an independent contractor, Grayback Forestry. And yeah, we did a lot of project work, which is just, you know, in prescribed burns. And then um, like the forest service or those people, they would call us up when their resources were, you know, tasked out and so we'd be like an independent contractor for the forest service and people like that that needed more fire help so it was super fun I mean it's really hard work and you're kind of just with this small crew and you just travel all over and and uh, I got to ride my first private jet when they flew us to a fire it was pretty cool you know it's just um and to get on the, the crew you know you had to you had to pass all the stuff and be selected so you know, your physicality meant something, your hard work meant something, and those are kind of like value propositions to me. So I just like that kind of stuff. It's funny, as you mentioned that, I'm sure that, uh, and maybe maybe it's still this way, but I'm sure anyone who's done done fire is like, wait a minute, private jets? <laughs> We've got to ride in that <laughs> stinky buggy with 20 other people for 12 hours to get to fires these days. Yeah, I mean, it was just because we were needed so quickly. I mean, it only happened once, but it was like a moment I remember. Like, dude, we get to ride in a private jet. <laughs> it was pretty cool. That's awesome. There was only like 10 of us, so it was neat. Did they leave all the, the snacks and drinks in there for you guys, too, to ransack? Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I think it was just like quickest way to get there, get in and uh, get on the ground. So I don't remember the like getting treated like royalty other than we just had to fly <laughs> fast. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so with your experience on fire, did you, I mean, you did it for one season and it sounds like you did a lot of prescribed burns, but at least were called into one major fire at least. Um, yeah. Do you have any experiences or stories from your time doing fire that you would like to share? You know, I just think there's just something so valuable about being with a group of people who kind of have a common goal and desire I mean that's kind of how alone was too I mean you're just all there geeked out to do the same thing and that's how you know when you get together with a group of people and I'm sure like police officers and first responders and you know um, firefighters urban firefighters I mean you get that camaraderie of just a common goal common direction and and this kind of specialized knowledge and it's just really an enjoyable atmosphere uh, I just really liked it. Yeah, and I think a, a common thread with all of those things you mentioned as well is the intensity of the experience, right? Um, that tends to, to forge, not to use a fire pun there, that was 
<laughs> whoops. Um, but that tends to to kind of forge that relationship and and forge you know needing to be reliant upon each other in a situation where that reliance actually counts, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so what I learned is I don't do really good in hot weather in general. And usually on fires, you're in the hottest weather and the driest weather fighting a fire. So it's like, dude, this is so hard. Yeah. Uh, and anytime now I smell like charred anything, it takes me right back to my season as a fire on the fire crew because it's just like the smell memory, you know. Yeah. So I was just doing mop up and clean up and digging out, you know, smoldering stumps. And there's just a smell to that. It's like a earth slash like char smell. It's very distinct. So it's like, ooh, that, as soon as I smell that, I'm right back on the fire crew. And I'm assuming that brings back good things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just good hard work. Cool. And what part of Montana? That was in Montana, I believe, right? And And where in Montana was it? We were based out of Missoula, but we traveled like all over. We did tons of work in Oregon. The fire we were on was in California, no surprise. Um, But it was really, we did a lot of work in Oregon. We traveled a lot. But only once via private jet. (laughs) Only once. (laughs) Still the only time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should, you should fix that. You should, I think you deserve a good, a good private jet ride. Did you get, did you get the helicopter treatment on alone at all? Or were you boat and, and I guess there was the swamp buggy thing for season five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Both of those were a yes. So lots of amazing moments. That's for sure. Um, We'll switch gears here again a little bit and, and move into uh, some Alaska stuff. Something I've been super excited to talk about was the, the documentary that you filmed. So you filmed a, a show about something called Mount Marathon. And, you know, Mount Marathon today and in, in 2021 um, is probably quite a bit more known than it was, what, a decade ago when, or over a decade ago, I think, when you when you did that documentary. And so for a, a quick, and you understand it better than I do, but I'll just give a quick background on what Mount Marathon is. So Mount Marathon is a running race. I believe it's in Seward, right? Yep. Okay, so Seward, Alaska. And there's a, a few different versions of the story, but basically there's this mountain that goes from sea level to really tall. I think it's, what, 3,000 feet, something like that? Yeah, um, 3,011. <laughs> and and for those out there, <laughs> that counts. eleven that eleven feet counts. Yeah, just to say, for those out yeah. there, that eleven feet, um, that that counts. So I think there's a few different versions of the story, but basically, a long time ago, there was some miners that were hanging out in town, and I think one version involves alcohol, and one might not. But basically, someone looked up at the mountaintop and said, "Hey, I can do that in an hour." And uh, so, you know, inebriated or not, <laughs> some people went and decided to try and, and make it to the top of this mountain in, in an hour. And so basically you're, you're going from sea level to 3,011 feet and you're doing that in, in what, a mile, mile and a half, somewhere in there? Oh, it's three miles total. It's like, classified as like the hardest 5K in America. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe the, in the world, I don't know. But the vertical gain, I mean, you're, you're doing oh, that vertical. in about yeah. a mile and a half, right? I think so, Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so it, if you're uh, if you're interested in seeing something equally terrifying and entertaining, go go find some footage from mm-hmm. Mount Marathon, and especially if people 
descending Mount Marathon. And I mean, it just, it, it is, it looks like less than controlled chaos of legs and arms and bodies <laughs> just, you know, flinging yes. themselves off of this nearly vertical mountain. Um, yes. So you've, you've competed in, in Mount Marathon and you, you did your documentary there. Um, what, what, I mean, you can you're going to say hard work, I'm sure, but what made you decide that, that doing something like Mount Marathon was a good idea? Well, I think the first time I decided I wanted to run the race, I was just, uh, I was just pregnant. <laughs> like, well, that sounds like a logical like thing to shoot for. Um, I don't know. It just really captured my attention. I had heard about the race and I really just wanted to do it. You know, I just really love a challenge. And so I went down and, um, it's so popular. You have to put in for a lottery to win the race to get a spot. And I put in and I got it. I'm like, holy crap. Um, okay. So now I have to like train and do this thing. So were you a runner prior to this? Yeah, I was a really good runner in school. Okay. Um, but I mean, this is a while past high school. Let's just be honest. (laughs) And, and were Um, you a, were you a mountain runner? I guess is the real question. No, not really. No, no, just cross country type running. And I've always been in pretty good shape and, so I just had my son as my second child. I'm like, yeah, let's go run this race. And so um, trained and went and did it. And I was just floored. Like the only spectators there are is like on the sea level, the very start and bottom of the race is in town in Seward, Alaska. The rest of the <clears throat> the race is completely like goat climbing and and getting up and down the mountain. I mean, it's just like it's insane. I couldn't believe what I was participating in. And, you know, and I had been there and, and like ran through it before I actually did the race. But I mean, it's really, really crazy. And I got done thinking the world needs to see this race. Like this is insane. And you're not going to see it unless you're on the mountain and very, very few like spectators climb the mountain to see what's actually happening up there. So it's only like spectator or the, the actual participants that are, you know, going through it that see what's going on. So I was just really inspired and I was just kind of getting into filmmaking at that point. And uh, I thought, what a great like first project. Like I'll just whoop out a documentary. Um, so it's, I am proud of the documentary still, but like I would change so much. I'm, I know so much more now, but for, for a first run, like I did pretty good with it. And so to get in the race, so here I am planning this documentary, but yet like, I'm going to have to film and like race at the same time. So I researched and found like the lightest camera at the time. I mean, a decade ago, that's asking a lot. It was still like mini DV tape. It wasn't even digital at that point. And so I found like a one and a half pound camera and I ran with that. And then I had like a, like GoPros. I had a GoPro on my, on the hat. (laughs) And then I'd, I'd hired like two guys to like strategically be in a couple places in the race to actually also capture some footage. And then I just did tons of interviews and like put this documentary together, but I didn't win the lottery that time. So they have this uh, auction the night before the race. So here I've planned this documentary and I don't have a slot to run it. So I had saved up money for like a year because these slots 
they auctioned off 10 spots in the women's and 10 spots in the men's. And uh, I was like, you know, I have to buy my way into this race. But it made a good, you know, little segment for the documentary, too. So here I am, like, you know, I'm at the auction trying to get a spot. And, you know, I think I paid $700 to run the race. That, that was the cost of entry for me. And some years they go like $2,000. People go crazy to get into this race. That's a lot of money for the privilege it's of a, beating oh, yourself yeah. up. <laughs> But, you know, I had everything on the line. Like, I planned on filming this documentary. I had to get in the race. So, yeah, I ran the whole stupid race with that camera in my hand and the GoPro on my head. And it just, it was wonderful. But that race is so intense. And you're right, coming down is just like you're you're jumping off the moon. It's just this really loose scree. And coming down is my favorite. I just love the giant leaps you can take. It just, you know, and you have to, like, tape up, like, your socks and your shoes because, you'll just fill them with that stuff coming down. And yeah, it's an incredible race. I believe it's the third oldest foot race in the country. And uh, I believe this year might be the hundredth anniversary coming up. I think 2022 might be the hundredth anniversary of that race. So the town of Seward goes from like, you know, 4,000 people to like 35,000 people for that 4th of July weekend. Cause it takes place every 4th of July. So it's just amazing. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it, because I've known about Mount Marathon for a few years. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I used to I used to run and, and mountain run and do all that fun stuff. And I agree. The descent on any mountain run is the most fun part. Um, but for me, when I, you know, it, so Mount Marathon has actually gained what I would call some level of popularity in the last probably five or six years. Um, but when I saw that you had done your documentary, you know, five or six years before that, it just intrigued me because, um, at that point in time, I mean, and you just kind of confirmed that at that point in time, Mount Marathon was, you know, would have been very, very, I don't want to say cult following, but it would have been very, very niche as far as who knew about it and and who was doing it. And so it's awesome that you kind of were the, so it's fun for me, you know, a decade later being someone who who has followed that race and who does watch the the things that are put out about Mount Marathon and has been intrigued by, by it to then learn that, you know, that you were kind of the original person to show, not to just tell, but to show Mount Marathon to the world. That's, that's really neat and kind of special for me. Is, is that footage of like, do you have that available? Is it on your YouTube channel or is there somewhere that people can go and, and watch that? You know, unfortunately, I never did upload it to, like, uh, YouTube. I should do that. Um, Otherwise, believe it or not, people, you have to order it on DVD from me, (laughs) which is so old school. Uh, That's that's the only place you can see it. And I do believe, uh, I think a couple other films, documentary-ish things have been made since I did mine. Um, But, yeah, you have to, like, get on my Etsy store and order a copy and I sell them cheap because I have too many of them <laughs> for like six bucks. Well, then I, I, I won't pressure you to digitize because I don't want to take away from your no, from your DVD I selling totally magnate business. But um, No, <laughs> I would actually love to be rid of them completely. <laughs> coming, coming from someone who I don't even think I have the ability to play a DVD in my home anymore. Exactly. Um, I would love to see that on your YouTube channel sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. if you go back, and I'm talking back years, you have to go to like the bottom of my channel. 
I have a couple little snippets of like trailer type stuff on my channel, um, which is Girl in the Woods. So if you go back to like 2009 or something, 2010, I don't even know when I posted it, but there's a couple little snippets on my YouTube channel. But I, I do need to digitize the whole thing and put it out. That would be that'd be really fun. Well, when you do, I'll uh, I'm I'm subscribed, so I'm going to be excited to get that notification at some okay. point because um, I'm I'm excited to see what that original take on the race is and was because it's a it's a fascinating thing so we we've talked a lot about your filmmaking and and we've mentioned youtube um so i'm going to try and, and tee this up in a in a way that will help people understand um so i i i have a podcast i don't know if anyone listening understands or knows that but i i run a podcast <laughs> and i feel i feel pretty good about my show right um, it's very small. It's a it's a niche group of people that are interested in the Alone Show, and I get about three hundred listens per episode, and that's in the first couple of weeks. And and we're only two months old, but I feel really good about that. And there's a lot of podcasts out there, and that's you know my show or this show is in like the top ten percent worldwide currently of podcasts, which awesome. is great. But um, you know it, it's a it's still a very small number. So to kind of tee this up, when we talk about Brooke's YouTube channel, um, you know, again, I get about 300 listens per episode, which I'm super stoked on, and have about 120, like, dedicated subscribers. Um, your YouTube channel, you have, I, I just checked again this morning, it, they, it kind of just grows on its own all the time, but you're at, like, 317,000 subscribers. I think you've had over 35 million total views <laughs> and you average like a oh, hundred. Yeah. And then you average like a hundred thousand views per episode. Um, and so when, when we say that, that you have a successful YouTube channel, um, I, I think it's safe to say that you have a successful YouTube channel. Um, and you kind of already answered a question. I didn't, I didn't know what came first, the, the alone chicken or the YouTube channel egg, but it sounds like, you know, filmmaking has been something you've been interested in for a very long time and has been an outlet for you for a while. Um, can you talk about the, the YouTube journey and I guess why, like why start a YouTube channel and, and what does it do for you? Cause it sounds like it probably fulfills something inside of you to, to create in that way. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's the creating part and the artistic part of filming. I just really, um, I bought my first camera in 2007. I had had some, like a yard sale, like camcorder before that. You know, Dave and I and our kids were in Alaska, and you know, we're doing all this stuff that's hard and in building up our lives in Homestead and in like our all of our family was back in Michigan, and so it was kind of a way to share like what was going on in our lives and the kids growing up and. But I just have this like insatiable need to like, uh, I don't know, like record things and share things. It is a creative outlet. Um, and the film filming for me was what hit that sweet spot. So, you know, I'm, I'm just filming owls and moose and our lives. And it just kind of morphed into like more creative things, more artistic type things. And then, you know, the documentary and in pretty soon you're upgrading cameras and, you know, you're just, it's just like, I can hardly walk out the door without grabbing my camera. You know, it's just kind of part of me. And uh, so I didn't really put a lot out on YouTube 
until I think I've, I'm approaching six years of like really steady, continuous posting on YouTube. But it's just this thing you can you can do, create something, put it out to the world, and share it, and hopefully inspire other people to get outside. And, and if you know my channel at all, you know I say get outside and get happy. And that's really what it is for me. And, and just filming that and immersing yourself in the outdoors, but with a camera in your hand. You know, so when Alone happened, it was like a real super easy transition for me. I'd been filming myself and filming everything for years prior to that. And uh, it was such a natural fit. And YouTube now is just, it's our jobs. You know, Dave is on YouTube, has almost half a million subscribers. It's my husband. And uh, it's just a creative outlet. But also now it's just, it's our job. It's turned into our full-time jobs, but it's not like punching a clock. It's like, where do I want to camp today and like take people along? Like, it's pretty amazing. I'm so blessed. And then, the, you know, the longer you're in it, the better you get and you figure out what works and what doesn't and what people want to see. And you begin to form this community around your uh, viewership. And it's just really rewarding. Yeah, it, uh, you know, again, I, I am on like the, the, the very opposite end of that spectrum. And, but I, I can understand, I mean, for me, it's so awesome to just see that people are enjoying something that you put time and effort into. Cause I, you know, I don't know that, that unless you've done something creative, like you do, um, that people can understand, you know, how much effort goes into what you do. I mean, your videos, you know, 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes, and, you know, to me, that seems like it's probably weeks of work to get an episode or to get a, a you know, a, a, I guess an episode out. Um, so there's a lot of, of you that goes into not just what's seen on camera, but what's happening behind it to make that possible and to, to put that out there for people. Yeah, you absolutely have to love the process of all of it. Like you have to like the editing, you have to like the filming you have to like the finished product and the interaction afterwards because it is a ton of work, especially these, I mean, like my last, uh, I built a cabin this summer, literally took me months because I wasn't doing it, you know, continuously, but filming an entire build. I mean, we're talking hours and hours and hours and hours of footage on top of the work of building the cabin. And then you've got to sort through all of that, which made me really feel sympathy for the alone editors <laughs> by the way <laughs> of all the footage to sift through to make a story come to life and I mean you have to enjoy all of those parts or the process will be miserable and you won't succeed so you have to like like it all um, and and it's also a longevity thing you know you got to stick with it the longer you're in the game the better you get but the more people find out about you and the, you know it's a snowball effect, so you absolutely have to put the time in. It's a long game. You cannot think, I'm going to jump on and just be awesome out the gate because nobody is. It takes a lot of years and just grind. It's just a grind. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if you enjoy it, it's it's good. Well, and, and your channel, I mean, you do awesome stuff. You, I, <laughs> I think, I mean, you undersell again, right? I, I built a cabin. Um, but, I mean, you've you've built a couple cabins on your channel, I believe, and shared that process and you know what i guess you've already mentioned the name it's girl in the woods 
but what kind of things can people expect if they were to go and, and look at your channel? What are they going to experience and, and see? I think a lot of it is an immersive experience in the outdoors. You know, I try to get the feeling across that you're with me, whatever I'm doing. Um, but it might just be some, it might be fishing, might be uh, putting up a wall tent and that experience of like sitting around a fire. Um, it might be building a cabin. It might be, it, it's basically anything outdoors, but with kind of this vibe of hoping to inspire you to get outside. And that's kind of what it, has evolved to, but really I'm just like filming the stuff I like to do. Let's <laughs> just be honest. Uh, I'm so lucky to be able to do that, but you know, in order to be successful on YouTube, you do have to have like, um, you have to be able to convey something that's of value to someone else. And I think I hit the inspiration button on my channel more than anything. I hear from a lot of women in particular, you know, I didn't really think I could do that or this, and you've inspired me to do that or this. And that just makes me so happy. So I think just uh, seeing a, a woman getting out there and getting at it um, hits a button for some people. So I really like that. Yeah, I wanted to, to kind of touch on that because I, I assumed that your audience was, was quite female, right? And I, I think it's awesome to have someone in that space that is able to cater to to the the needs and, and to the experience of, of women in the outdoors and so that's great that you're able to be there and to share that experience and to be inspirational to to so many people um, with your cabin builds I think this kind of feeds into that but were those solo builds like mostly solo builds or were you working with Dave or other people as you were putting those together Let's see, the one before the last one I just did, that was Dave and I building the shell together, and then I finished the inside alone. And then this last build was completely solo me. So that was my first solo build. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just really love the challenge. I think that resonates across, like, my personality. I guess I just really... I just really like to be challenged. Yeah, I watched a I watched a few of your videos before um, before this, obviously, so I could get a feel of of your channel and and your creativity and that outlet for you. Um, but I didn't I w didn't have the time to immerse myself in a in a series, and so I watched some of your more standalone videos. But um, I was very curious to know if it was a, a solo project, and so I'm excited to go back and and watch those and I would encourage anyone because to me I mean it just sounds fascinating to to see the experience or I guess to experience the experience of you creating a, a cabin and a structure all on your own and and you know I'm sure that you had a lot of those skills but I'm sure there was also lots of learning opportunities and moments for you there that you share as well yeah yeah it was, it was a totally you know I'm a good worker but to be completely in charge of the build and it was remote. It was only accessible by ATV. So added another layer of getting material to the site, but not having anyone there to answer your questions or help you figure out something or stand up a one end of the A-frame. Like it's just, you got to just power through and do it. So yeah, it was huge learning. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like that first time you stay alone in the woods, you know, you're like, I'm not sure I can do this, but you actually can. 
<laughs> you come out the other side like, oh, great. I'm like so excited what I'm going to build next. I have like two builds already in my mind for what I'm going to do next. So that's cool. Just snowballs. Yeah, you you mentioned that your channel, you know, you you feel like you hit the inspiration button, and you know, in talking and talking to you about that, and and seeing what you've done, um, what I think is super cool, and I don't want to call it unique because um, that's going to be unfair to other people, but I you know I think what is unique and and awesome about what you're doing is that you are inspirational, but it's very genuine inspiration. Um, it's very genuine of this is how I am, and this is what I do. And this is why it's been so great for me. And so the the inspiration, like you, you you say inspiring things, but you're also just inspirational because of how you are and what you do. And it comes across as very real and authentic. And um, I'm sure that's just how you are. And if that's not, you are doing a great job of editing your videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate that. It's very kind. Um. So with the the filmmaking, we've talked you know a little bit about Dave as well, and and his channel, and and you know obviously the one cabin build that he was involved in. Um, here we are, fifty five minutes in, and we're finally getting there. So I'm sorry, people, but you obviously had a a, <laughs> a very um, I'm going to call it an intense experience with Dave with Alone season four, and then for you, you you know you turned right around and you were back out on season five. Um, you know, I mean, you had, what, nine, ten months in between, but that's a, a quick turnaround. Can you talk a little bit about your time on alone and, and what it was like to have, I think to me especially, that experience with Dave where you're able to have that focused time but also that intense experience together? Yeah, season four, we were both just really excited to be able to do it together because um, we I came across the show and was just like enthralled with it. And I'm, we both were like, I would love to do this, you know, both of us. So when that family season came up, um, it was like, Oh, this is a perfect fit, right? Like we both get to do it. We both get to do it together. So it was really amazing. Um, can't say enough good things about production um, and the cast, the, the, the people who are with us. We just love them all. We just had such a great time leading up to the show and you know you kind of launch into that show just buddies and it doesn't feel like a competition whatsoever you just hope everyone does well and stays safe and and it's constantly on your mind you know you've just made these friends and you know you're out there and you're wondering how they're doing you know wondering who's left and in our case we were on the coast so Every time you'd see a boat, you know, you're craning your neck to be like, does that look like a production boat? Is someone tapping, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we were alone. I was dropped on one side of the island and he was dropped on the other. So he had to hike to me and it took eight days. So I was kind of really obsessed with making sure camp was going to be set up for him because I knew he would be just absolutely exhausted. And I think people really tuned in to see like, Oh, the only husband wife team, like they're going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do they do that? But Dave and I lived, we're, we haven't lived conventional lives our entire marriage and uh, we're together 24 seven, like all the time. Neither of us really have worked for other people long-term spend like gig work or we're, we're self-employed. So we're together all the time. And what you saw on TV was what you would see us at home too. Like it's just our relationship and how we work and get along. So 
I think people were disappointed they didn't see a couple a bickering like couple on the show who couldn't handle being like together that much, even though the show is called Alone. Um, we're together that much all the time, so it was really not anything abnormal. We've lived really, you know, rustic lives, and you know, the first cabin we built, we lived in our dome tent while we built it in Alaska. We'd go to work, get out of work, work on our cabin. We'd go to bed in the dome tent. Like it's kind of how we have always done things. So it wasn't that much of a step outside of our existence together to do the show. Um, it just, it was wonderful. I mean, really we didn't have any challenges between us. The only thing I can say is, uh, when you're with someone in a situation like that, you know, the emotional ups and downs, you're going to feel the other person, which if you're alone, you're only dealing with your own. So if I was having an up day or a down day or vice versa, you know, the other person, it's, you feel that and that's not helpful or it is helpful depending on which end of it you're on. Yeah. So that, that was the unique part of that season. I can imagine. I mean, that's a a stress that, you know, as soon as you say that, I, I mean, everyone who's listening is like, oh, yeah, you know, and that makes sense. But that's a, a, a factor that I, would, I wouldn't have thought about. Um, but, you know, but now that I think about that and think about my own life and my own circumstances, like, yeah, that would be a, an especially challenging thing to, to have to manage or to feel like you have to manage. Right? There's probably this feeling of pressure of, oh, man, if I'm feeling X, Y, or Z today, you know, that's going to impact Dave and he's going to feel like he has to do A, B, and C or that's a, that's an interesting perspective. And uh, I think something that is really great and and unique and and really wonderful about season four is that you also had someone that you could share with, right? And and not just on the show. I'm talking more about when you got home, that there was someone who understands you right and that you don't even have to talk about it at that point you can just look at each other and you know I'm sure there's still moments where you just look at each other and go wow (laughs) you know because it's such an intense experience but again that sounds like it's been your whole relationship that is so true we are so blessed in that I mean you could really you could get excited together before the show you could like talk about boot camp you could talk about launch i mean just everything it's been so wonderful and same as youtube too like we talk shop all the time and we are so blessed we've said so many times like think about these people who go back to their spouses or their partners or whatever and there's just that that connection is just so valuable and powerful we have very hard to you know we were able to deconstruct and you know de everything after because we'd both been through it and it's really, that's a really interesting um, vibe to share for sure. Yeah. The I mean, uh, division of labor was really great though, too, on the show. It's just really great to have someone there to, to help with just work and cutting wood and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, and not to, you know, obviously not to get personal with anyone, but you know, the, that coming home piece is, is like, it seems like it's the challenge of the whole experience is the coming home and, and, you know, for some coming home to someone who doesn't understand or to whatever the circumstances may have been, it, that leads to some, to some challenges. And so it's uh, awesome that you're able to come home and, and have each other to, to understand the, the experience that you had just gone through. 
Um, what was it yeah. like to, to, I mean, that's a, it's a quick turnaround. If you ask me, I think that, you know, 10 months or whatever, it ends up being nine months, uh, turnaround to go out on season five and to do that alone. Um, what was that like? And, and what was the, the feeling like the, the mental state of knowing that you were going to go through that again, but then also knowing that you had to do it alone, alone the second time. That's a really, really great question because it was such a quick turnaround. <laughs> I, I said season five was like, we all kind of went into it with PTSD. Yeah. All of the returning people were knew exactly what we were getting into. And that's different than the other seasons where like, it's just this really ramped up, exciting experience and everyone's just so pumped. And season five was a really subdued, like every, it was like serious. <laughs> we still had fun and everything leading up, but like there was this, I wouldn't say a cloud, but you know what's coming and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be enjoyable all the time. <laughs> so it was really oh, a different vibe. That was fascinating to me. The psychology of the show is super fascinating to me. Yeah, but, uh, I I don't know if you've I mean I've mentioned this on a few episodes, but then I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it until I'm going to say this until there's a psychologist listening to the show and they do something about it. I I think that if there's not a university that's, you know, or some psychologist who's working with production to get access to the footage to just to to do psycho- psychological research on the show, I mean, I, I think there's an understanding of the raw human condition that has that is sitting on those films and on that footage that is just sure. it, it would be a shame for that not to go to scientific use. Kind of like deconstructing some of the moments. Yeah, I mean, just just watching in general. I mean, I, the the mm-hmm. experience is so raw and so rough that I, I think there has to be some psychological value there and, and learning that can happen. But you also mentioned too the that you didn't you know you don't want to use the word cloud but kind of the just I guess humility is probably what to expect or what to call yeah. it right this humility of of going into this experience and um, something that Michelle and I were talking about the other day you know we were watching back through as as we get to watch and prepare for an episode and when you said that I realized like wow you know when you when you watch the the season five there is a totally different vibe on season five that I don't think you'd pick up on unless you, unless you had been told to look for it. Um, so I, I, I recommend if, if you're listening, go back and, and watch the seasons again or watch someone's clips after you've heard them on this show and you'll, it's a whole different experience, but yeah, season five, when I think about it, it was, there was totally a different vibe that you could even feel. Of yeah. It, it, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was really excited to do it alone. I mean, that didn't, bother me at all I felt really bad actually I really felt like Dave deserved to go back I mean I had to leave season four because I'd lost so much weight they were going to pull me that day so um, we decided to make that decision ourselves that day instead of like have them come pull me Um, and I know he could have gone longer and we were in it to win it we were in it to stay as long as we could so I felt bad that it was me that ended it you know, and as a team, that's how it goes, you know. So when I got called back from Mongolia, and it was probably just because they needed another female, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I was like, sweet, but really, I felt like it should have been his chance 
of course, I don't make that decision, but I was totally psyched to try it alone. And um, that, you know, the alone thing doesn't bother me. It's, but nine months turnaround was, I'd be lying if I say that wasn't really difficult on me and my body and mental. The whole thing is, is really quick turnaround to do that twice in a year. And so I was losing weight at a clip much faster than I did on season four. So at day 19, I was like the same way I was at day 30 in season four. Man. So it was just kind of accelerating. And by day 28, I was like, you know, I'm just done with this. I'm sick of being alone. I'm sick of this feeling of being starving. (laughs) I'm sick of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I called it. It's something that as, as I was watching back to um, the the green tarp, um, that does almost seem like a cruel and unusual thing for them to do to provide a green tarp instead of like a, a white tarp. Because you were, you know, your experience, you were sitting in there and just that tarp was driving you nuts to have that green glow in your shelter. Um, we made a conscious decision on season five that one of our extra things was going to be a white tarp, so we wouldn't have to deal with that awful color. Yeah. But with Mongolia, I decided not to do an extra tarp and I was just going to roll with, I mean, the tarp they give us that is for our camera gear. And if it's incorporated into our shelter, which protects our camera gear, then that's allowed. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to do that. And uh, yeah, I paid for that. I mean, I, I, the white tarp we had in, Season four, I mean, that was why we took it for that mental health. It's really important to have natural light. So I was definitely missing that. And uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> it is what it is. It was just awful because you get stuck in there for just hours and you're just with your thoughts. And yeah, it can consume you. That's another funny little insight that just shows how, I mean, to use the vernacular of today, how legit you and Dave are, right? Um, you've, you've done this enough that you knew going into season four, like, yeah, we're going to want a white tarp because we're, we're going to want that color in our shelter. I mean, that's just a, you know, it's a small thing you just said, but it it says volumes about your experience and the things that you all have, have done throughout your life, um, which is really cool. And something else that I'm thinking, I want to kind of talk about, as you mentioned that there was, you know, that feeling, I don't know if you use the word guilt and I certainly don't want to put that into you, but um, you had certain feelings and emotions of when you had to leave on season four, you know, because you were the, the one who was, you know, losing weight and was at that point where it was time to go and then being chosen to go back out on season five. Um, is that something in those feelings of, of whatever they are that you've been able to put in their proper place and how long did that take and, and how did you manage to do that? Cause I'm sure there was a lot of, of stress and weight with, you know, I don't want to say being the one because that's like totally the wrong, you know, right. vibe, the wrong connotation, but that is what happened. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you ever, <laughs> I still wish it would have been him to go. And, you know, I, I honestly, I feel like even going in, I knew I wasn't going to win season five just because of my size and it's been so quick. So, you know, uh, if I'm being completely honest, like season four, we went in, like, we're going to win. 
And I didn't have that going into season five. It was like, I'm going to go do the best I can. And I remember Dave saying like, that's wrong. Like, you don't go and doing the best you can. You go in to win. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but in my head and in my heart, I was like, I know I'm not going to win. And that's just being 100% transparent. Like, I, I know how hard that was. I know how hard it is. And I honestly didn't know if I had it in me to go like a huge amount of time the second time around. And so I feel guilty about that too. Like, yeah, he would have gone a second time and gone to win, you know? (laughs) So I don't know. It's just choices you make and stuff you have to deal with. But, you know, if I wouldn't have gone, would Dave would have gone? Like that wasn't an option. It wasn't like one of us gets to go. Yeah. They asked me and I wasn't going to turn down the opportunity to go to Mongolia and have an awesome experience in the wilderness. And it was, I mean, I wasn't super happy with how they portrayed me in season five. Like they didn't even show me fishing. (laughs) So I was pretty bummed. You know, that goes back to that. You don't have control of anything and only your experience. And no one's going to even see it. Like I don't even get, I don't have the footage and it's really hard to give up that much. um, What would you, what would you call it? I mean, you're giving up everything to somebody else. So that's tough. Season five was kind of hard for me to to deal with after. Honestly, I didn't even watch the whole season. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I still to this day haven't watched the final season, like the final episodes, because I was just like so bummed how like I performed, how I was portrayed. Oh, it's like, oh, man, no. <laughs> and, you know, it should have been Dave. So I don't know. You just... It was an awesome experience. Like, that's what no one can own but me. Like, I had an amazing experience in Mongolia. I was so happy. I was so immersed in the experience. No matter what I was portrayed like on TV, I, they can't take that away from me. And, and you know, Dave was very supportive and, and everything, but I just wish it would have been him. <laughs> <laughs> well, <He deserved> it. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I it's, you know, to, to save to say that would discount that you earned it and deserved it as well. And I think that you most certainly did. Um, you know, you've lived an incredible life and, and the experience that you both had on season four. And I mean, you know, so I, I wouldn't discount that, but you, you've said a few things I want to kind of circle back to and just kind of, you know, touch, touch on as we are moving forward here. But you, you talked about the, your feelings going into season five and, and, you know, knowing, maybe not knowing you weren't going to win because I mean, anything could happen, but knowing that you, you, I guess you knew your threshold is maybe yeah, what to, I think to, I did. Yeah. to put that at. And, you know, I've had the the opportunity to speak to a few season five um, veterans. Right. And I haven't spoken to, to Sam and I haven't spoken to some of the others that, you know, but um, so far the ones I've spoken to from season five, they all have shared, I think that similar, you know, maybe it wasn't a, Hey, I'm not going to win, but it was definitely of, Hey, I, I know, I know when it's, I know when it's going to be time and yeah, I know I, where yeah. my threshold is and, you yeah. know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that season two thing to myself again or that season four thing again. Yeah. I will say it was, it was amazing being with the, 
you know, all the other season five participants, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that was just absolutely awesome. It's like, uh, it's like you're, you're just fans of each other, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, you're from season two or you know, whatever. You're kind of like fanning out on like <laughs> your fellow contestants and super fun. And, um, you know, you're just in this really, really tight knit group. Again, it's kind of like the, you know, the fire crew. It's like, you've been through these things and it's just a really small club and you all get it, especially like season five. I mean, we'd all been there before. So it was just super awesome to just hang with everybody and be there. And, and uh, yeah, that was super special. It it was, wow. Mongolia was an amazing experience. What was the, uh, you know, what was it like? Cause there's, there's obviously this experience after being, after tapping or after being pulled, however, you know, however an experience ends, but there's this time that's spent kind of in camp and, and with, you know, the crew while you're recuperating and before you ship off. Um, did you have anybody, any of the other participants with you during that experience? And, and what was that like to be able to so quickly after that experience, have someone who's, who knows that was there with you if you had that opportunity? Yeah. So when I tapped in Mongolia, Jesse had just got released from the hospital. So he was back at base camp because he had ingested all of that um, inner bark that really yep. bound him up. Um, so it was so cool. So Jesse and I got to hang out for gosh, like a week. And uh, yeah, you know, you can just kind of deconstruct everything with somebody. Um, it's really valuable. So it was just me and him in camp. And like, you know, one person from like the, uh, the fixers, you know, people who make the camp and kind of like checking in on you and keep the camp going. Cause this is so remote production crew was, you know, a mile away or whatever. So, you know, they might do an exit interview, but you're kind of just left to be alone again, but you kind of, you got food and you're kind of doing your refeeding thing. And it's just really chill, really, just really down, you know, you're just happy to be warm and get some food and. Like, not have to work so hard. It's just really a lot of work on the show. So it's just kind of like you're on vacation <laughs> when you get out. Like, <laughs> you know, I can relax now. And uh, so, yeah, it was super valuable to have Jesse there. And, and again, you know, you just, it's just a crew that you've just really come to love and respect these people that are with you on the show. And production, too. I mean, it's just, it's a great production crew. And, uh, yeah, it's just, we can't say enough good things about them. Do you keep in touch with anyone from the show that's not Dave? Yeah, we do. We've, um, before the pandemic, we got together with Ted and Jim Baird and their wives. They came and camped with us for a few days. Um, super awesome. And Dave has been in contact with Chris from season, it's Chris and Brody, season four. He, they've gotten together. Um, Brad and Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, don't live too far away from us. We've we've connected with them in person. Um, Dave Mack McIntyre, he lives in Michigan too. We've gotten in touch with him, and he's come over and hung out with us for a few hours around the fire. So yeah, I mean, if you oh, and Mike Lowe, I've I've met and hung out with Mike Lowe um, in Arizona. And actually, just bumped into him in Michigan recently too. That was really bizarre. Oh, that's funny. Like you like, like just bumped into each other. Yeah, like I was in a Menards um, next to a highway, right? And I just get this random text like, hey, you know, or I had seen him post on Facebook that he was in Michigan. 
And so I texted him real quick. I'm like, are you in Michigan? He's like, oh, I'm on like such and such a road. And I'm like, dude, you just passed the Menards I'm in. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> He's like, well, I'll turn around. I'm like, sweet. So we met in the parking lot, him and his wife. I mean, what is a weird coincidence. Like he happened to be driving next to Menards. I was like in near the highway. So, yeah, it was funny when you, when you, when you start saying, well, I mean, we were texting and who's here. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, so it was, you know, kind of. Oh wait, <laughs> he was actually driving by in the moment that you yeah, were. Yeah, <laughs> it was really, really serendipitous, really fun. So. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yep. So oh, yeah, um, trying to think if there's anybody else, but you know, it's like if you're close, if you can connect. It's it's really really great to get together with people. I think we've always wanted to do just like a big alone camp out with all the people who've been on alone, but. I think that that idea started coming around right before the pandemic and then it was just like impossible. But I think that's something on all of our radars. Like we'd like to just, you know, do some big camp out where it's just the people from alone and you just can just meet and greet and talk and, you know, share stories. Be super fun. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out here. Um, obviously not like an invite, but something that I've wanted to do for a long time and I'm trying to figure out how to accomplish it is I think it would be so interesting to hear, um, you know, more than one participant just discussing, right? You just, just getting together, basically. I mean, basically what you're describing is something that I've wanted to try and figure out how to do is to get a handful of people together and just, you know, push record and say, and just, just talk yeah, and totally. hear, and uh-huh. hear that, that side of, of the show. I mean, certainly there's things to, to be, protected and to, to stay personal because yep. of how personal it is. Yep. Um, so I recognize that, but I, I love that idea and, and hopefully we're all are able to do that because for me, I've, I've wanted to try and find a way to facilitate something similar um, because I think the experiences and the things that you would hear would be, you know, just phenomenal and, and very personal and very interesting. So hopefully that can, yeah. can get together. Um, but we've, you've kind of, led us again to a perfect transition as we're starting to wind down here. So I had reached out to you before and asked if, if you were comfortable with me, you know, mentioning you were coming on the show so I could try and gather some questions. And then I, I put that out on Facebook oh, and, yeah. and, you know, for anyone else who's listening, um, it's kind of hard. Sometimes this goes just really fast when I, you know, someone says, Hey, I'm able to come on and then our schedules will align, you know, like the next day in some circumstances. So right. if there's, if there's someone, you know, for those listening, if there's someone that you have questions for, or maybe just general questions that you would like to ask of any of the participants, feel free to either find the show on Facebook. It's at the alone podcast. Um, or you can email at the alone pod at gmail.com. I'll link those in the description below, but if you want to, you're interested, you can send some questions either for a specific person that hasn't been on the show yet, or you can send some general questions and we'll take some of those, you know, thoughtful questions and, and pitch those to some of the participants. So we received a few different questions. Um, the first one that I want to ask you, I think this is actually a really, this is a fantastic question. This is, comes from someone named Cheryl. And Cheryl asks, what did you learn from your time in the wilderness on a loan that is helpful to you during the pandemic? And maybe I'll expand that to maybe what you've learned in your vast experience. But if you have something specific from a loan, um, that would be fantastic. Well, I think you have to be um, a problem solver 
that was, that's a big deal on a loan. Like you have to figure things out without everything that's normal. Right. So if you don't have something you need, you got to figure out how to make it or procure it or do without and do something else. And I think that's pretty apropos for the pandemic. I mean, I live in a very rural area, so I wasn't like locked down and I couldn't go places. Life was pretty normal for me too, because I don't have a real regular job. And, and that may seem kind of callous, but life was kind of the same for us here. But for those of you that had to be just locked down and continue to be locked down, like you have to find ways to entertain yourself and still keep your morale up. And I'm just, I love being able to dive into, do a deep dive into something that I'm, you know, wanting to learn or be curious about. And that's just, you know, alone teaches you that you have to be, you know, a self-starter. You have to be um, a problem solver. And that goes for if you're home alone and, and, you know, you can't get into your head too much or you won't do anything or you'll overthink it. It's kind of just like a, you just got to do it, you know, boots on the ground, figure something out and make it happen. And, you know, I think the pandemic gave people a lot of opportunities to do a little introspective, you know, deep dive into themselves, maybe get a, a at-home fitness program started. I mean, you had the time for it, right? Like no one was going to work and you're stuck. And I think it's, it's a, t- a valuable moment to, dive into a different part of your life that maybe you've shut down. So I don't know. I can see it as a blessing and a curse depending on your mindset. It's just like a loan, you know, you either super can deal, you can deal with it and make the best of it, or you can really kind of get involved in your head and let it go, you know, south. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm I'm not going to put words in, in your mouth at all, but as you're talking, um, what has come to my mind is sphere of control. And, and focusing on that sphere of control, um, is so huge to me anyways. Um, and you know, I, I think that's kind of at the heart of maybe some of the things you've just mentioned is just being able to focus on what you can control and what you can do and, and really taking charge of that and then letting the stuff that, that you can't, because if you can't control it, it's just going to make you mad. And if it makes you mad, then that, that's not super useful. Um, yep, absolutely. So that's fantastic. Thank you for that. And then we've got another one. Um, and I'm, so I'm, I'm glad that the show went the directions that it did. Um, this one comes from, and I'm going to use the full name because this person is they're out there enough that he's not going to care if I use his full name. Uh, and he's been on the show. So this comes from a Mr. Mike Lowe, someone that you're familiar <laughs> with. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's funny, this is a question that, that I have, um, I've actually held off on asking this question because it, it's a very obvious question and I've, I've been afraid of, and, and you probably understand this too. I've been afraid of compromising what I'm doing, right. As far as getting to know the people behind the show and not necessarily focusing solely on a loan. So I'm glad that Mike asked mm-hmm. this question because then it gives me creative permission to get outside of the own, the confines I've created for myself. So thank you, Mike. I really right. appreciate it. Um, but Mike's question, and this is kind of a general one, but what, what didn't make the cut on the show that you wish did or, you know, anything in that realm? Um, if you can speak to that for a minute. Um, Oh, there's so much. Um, it sounds like fishing is, is one of them, which when you, when you say that, you know, that I thought back to thinking of watching your episodes and like, man, yeah, they, they, (laughs) 
you know, they, they weren't kind with the, the fishing work, but anyways, what, what was there that you feel that way about? Season four, um, I was battling an octopus. <laughs> it was more of my, it was more my fault. I didn't get great footage of it because it happened so in the moment, um, kind of had to react. I was, it was really towards the end of our stay and I was fishing on the rocks and the fishing had been really, really bad. I mean, we were getting nothing. And I'm watching this giant Pacific octopus, like pull himself out of the water on the rocks right in front of me. I was like, kind of like, dude, like, what do I do? All I had was a hook and I'm on the edge of like very slippery rocks on the edge of the ocean where I had fallen and like it's super deep. Evan, we're starving and I want this octopus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all I have is either my hook or a stick. Like, and in the moment I decided to go for the stick and I should have gone for a hook. So I took the stick and I tried. So I'm battling to get him more out of the water. And as soon as I started doing that, he's like fighting to go back in the water and just to see an octopus like move and work and, and think and you know, it knew exactly what I was doing and it was going the opposite and I'm battling, trying to like pull it out of the water. And, and this went on for, I don't know, a minute maybe where it was like, Oh, I've got the upper edge. No, he's got the upper edge. And then he won and slipped back into the water. But it was just one of those, wow, did that really happen to me? It was so cool. Like, I don't even care if it didn't get filmed. Like I was in that moment. It was so amazing to just kind of have that really intimate battle with an octopus and really, you know, I'm starving and it's dangerous and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's neat. Was there was was the octopus like was were there color changes happening? I mean, what was what was like the? It was like big pink and purple. And I mean, just to be in contact and like with it was huge. I mean, it was like the size of a basketball. Like it was huge, and just seeing it move. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. Like I don't get to see this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was super cool. And uh, and then on season five, you know, I made a lot of really cool um, floating. So we're on a river in Mongolia. That's where our food source mainly was, is the river. Catching a lot of fish that look a lot like Arctic grayling, but had this eddy. And so I figured out this like floating line that would fish for me 24-7. So I would just throw it in on a floating line with a grasshopper and it would just swirl around in the eddy and every day it's like, Ooh, you know, what if I caught? It was super cool. I was really proud of like how I learned to fish the river there and was successful, but they didn't show any of it. So it made me look like all I did on season five is like make jewelry. Well, and <laughs> they I even, of, um, I mean, not to, not to stir any pots, but I think there was even a moment where they had like, cause they, they, there was a specific of not showing you fishing. And then there was a moment where they, you know, I think they had cut you talking about fishing in some way and it kind of just portrayed it. As, I mean, it gave, gave the feeling that like fishing wasn't happening. Um, yeah. and so that's interesting here that it was. And, and for those just to kind of paint that picture, if you don't know what an eddy is, um, you know, basically you've got a rock or some other subsurface or even at the surface structure in the water that would create, you know, kind of a swirling slack water behind it. So you've got the flowing river, and then as the water hits that structure and, you know, pillows around it, you have this, 
this section of water behind it that is kind of a slack water and, and you, you'll just, you can sit there, right? So if you're river rafting on a, on a raft or whatever else, you can yeah. hit an eddy and you can be in the middle of a huge rapid set and, and you can find an eddy and you can sit there and get reprieve. And so just to kind of paint that picture of, of, you know, that fishing technique of finding a way to land your, your fishing gear in that eddy so it can just sit there and hang out. Uh, that's, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was Mongolia was really neat. That's for sure. Really interesting country. Well, Brooke, this has been an absolute pleasure and, and super fun for me to get to talk with you and, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, we've already mentioned your YouTube channel, so we'll link that. So it's Girl in the Woods. Where else would you like people to be able to find you? I know we, we had discussed before we started recording that you just revamped your website. Um, so where can people find you? Uh, you can get in touch at brookwhipple.com. Pretty simple. Um, YouTube's the easy one. I'm on Facebook too, public Facebook page at Brook Whipple. Um, if you, I think if you just type in Brook Whipple, you'll find me. Um, let's see where else. Etsy, little Etsy store. Girl in the Woods Goods. <laughs> um, Instagram at Girl in the Woods with a Z on the end. I post a lot of stuff on Instagram. So I would say Facebook or um, YouTube, and I love Instagram. So I'm always posting stuff on Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll get all those linked in the show notes so people can go and find you and, and keep up to speed on what you're doing. Um, I guess as we, as we wrap up, is there anything that we've discussed that you want to kind of touch back on again or, you know, any records you want to set straight or any last words you want to share before we close up today? I just got to say, you're fantastic at podcasting. So I think you're going to be huge. You're doing a great <laughs> job. You've just, you're so natural. You did a really, you did a really good job. So kudos to you. I think it's a great I, idea to have as a podcast. I, I appreciate I want, that. I want to deep dive into other, all the other alone people's thoughts too. It's super cool. Well, you've uh, you can submit questions if you want. You can go yeah. to the Alone Podcast on Facebook or the Alone Pod at Gmail dot com. <laughs> you can submit uh, submit questions. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I appreciate your kind words. It, it's to me that's been the most humbling part of this, and and really the most rewarding and and the most um, I guess validating. Not that you know. Everyone says, you you know, you just self-validate, but when you're creative and you're creating something, um, validation ends up kind of being a big role, at least so far for me in, in the early stages. Yeah. And it's been so Absolutely. awesome for me to, to hear how meaningful this has been to a lot of the participants. I mean, there's a, a lot of yeah. show participants that are listening and, and, you know, talking about how, yeah, like I, you know, I've learned even more about this person that I have this shared experience with and. And so that, uh, that means a lot to me and it's very special. So thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. But this has been fantastic and I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'm excited to see what the future holds. Great. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Sam. All right. Take care, Brooke. And you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.